0: Maya Angelou once said, There is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. This is Save vs. Rant. Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the everyman gaming podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today we're talking about a touch of RPG... Uh, what do we even mean when we say that, John?
1: Well, uh, RPGs are, of course, role-playing games, and today we're going to be talking about games that have some elements of role-playing games without actually being role-playing games. These are still more or less traditional tabletop games that contain some of the elements we tend to associate with role-playing games, especially role-playing elements.
0: What What are the elements of role-playing games?
1: <laughs> well... Funny you should ask what the elements of role-playing games are. We're not talking about micro-RPGs, which is a small game that is an RPG. We are talking about games that have things like persistent characters with opportunities for advancement or improvement, even in the course of just a single game. Uh, Characters with names and personalities associated with them that somehow are supposed to inform how they're played and games with unfolding story elements that allow you to react to them. Those are all things that we think of as being characteristic of role-playing games that you can sometimes see to some degree in non-role-playing games.
0: All right, well, let's see. What are we going to start with? Let's start with the first game that has role-playing elements in it at all, at least as far as board games go, HeroQuest.
1: I'm not sure if HeroQuest is the absolute first game with that, but I think it's the first one that had a major advertising campaign around it and was generally accessible to the general public. HeroQuest was a... Well, I like to think of it as Baby's First Dungeon Crawl. Uh, you <laughs> You've got this board that has these generic-shaped rooms in it, and you, as your party of characters, which are selected from the Barbarian, the Elf, the wizard, and the dwarf, Uh, (laughs) those four characters have to go through this dungeon crawl, fight monsters, and retrieve treasure. And another player plays as Zargon, the villainous uh, monster controller who is the DM for the game. Uh, he has a quest book that has instructions on how to run these quests. And for the most part, the quests just follow the fairly simple hero quest rules, which are move around, find a monster, kill the monster, avoid traps, search for treasure, boom, we're done. But a few of them will have additional elements like you have to find this hidden treasure and bring it to this room, or, uh, you have to go through this, or, uh, you, you awaken the Witch King when you uh, enter this room, things like that. There are a few little notes in the game, but in general, it's a fairly straightforward questing game. What it does have that's really cool is the idea of persistent characters. You create a character sheet, your character adventures, and as he adventures, he gains treasure, which he spends on better items to adventure with and in turn making it more powerful. So it's got a really cool advancement feature to it.
0: For me, the big RPG elements that this game has are the custom dice. It has the dice with the unique faces on them. The hero faces, the defense faces, the monster defense faces, just all those. It's better than just having numbered faces on the dice.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting concept, and it kind of does introduce you to a bit of intuitive probability. I mean... Uh, when you attack, you have to roll a skull in order to get a hit. Three of the faces on these six-sided dice are skulls. So you realize pretty quickly that it's about a 50-50 for each die to get a hit. Then two of the faces are shields, so when you're defending, each die is about a one in three of giving you a defense. And then one face is a monster defense, which gives you a one in six of a monster defending. Now, there is a certain degree of asymmetry to this. You see, the monsters are generally, even when they appear stronger than the, uh, players... They're actually weaker because they have less defensive ability. They have fixed movement speeds, whereas heroes roll dice to determine how far they move. The monsters move just a fixed number of spots. Honestly, one of the best things about this is that it's easy for a child to understand. I had Hero Quest when I was, I want to say, 9 or 10 years old. I want to say 1990 is when I got my copy of Hero Quest. So it was um, 1991, maybe. It was a something that even as a young child, I could pick up and play without feeling overwhelmed by the rules. Now, is HeroQuest really a good game? Eh, not
0: so much. I mean... It, it has wonderful nostalgic value. Plus, it introduces you to the idea of a dungeon master running a dungeon for the players, which... Frankly, if you want to have a gateway game to RPGs, HeroQuest is a good way of doing it. Uh, I'm also remembering there was another game around that time called uh, Dragon Strike. Yeah, I, I've
1: I've seen reviews of Dragon Strike and read a lot about it. I didn't actually play it, and I think, if I recall, wasn't it uh, TSR trying to gateway people into D&D, which is kind of the idea of what we're talking about here with these rpg light games. They're They're all kind of a gateway drug to that uh, more hardcore
0: role-playing experience, but... The most memorable thing about Dragon Strike, though, was it came with this VHS cassette with a 30-minute video that was so wonderfully you, you bad. You can
1: find that on YouTube still and it's just it's it's rec- remarkably goofy. Like it's just so over the top and yes, now you're f- fighting together as a team, you know, and stuff like that. It's just ridiculous over the top overacting and way too freaking long i will say that nobody needs to sit for 30 minutes and have the idea of playing pretend explained to them now between the two though one thing i will ha- i do have to say is they both had astounding miniatures for their time
0: they really did they, they were these wonderful hard plastic miniatures as opposed to like little bits of paper or uh, or, or just pawns. They they were like shaped miniatures. You had the skeletons from the base game, which were really, really cool.
1: And all wielding scythes, because how freaking cool is that? Um, and the zombies and goblins and... Uh
0: One of the expansions had ogres. I I remember that. Yeah, I remember And the
1: ogres uh, the ogres um, didn't have individual hit points. They had like a track for how much damage the ogres were taking. And when the track reached certain points, you killed an ogre with the stipulation that you couldn't overflow damage to kill another ogre at the same time, even if, you know, it would be enough damage. Although that'd be a funny image. Like, you stab the ogre so hard, his buddy has a heart attack. But, (laughs) oh no!
0: Fred!
1: I gotta imagine there's some kid who didn't read the rules properly and thought that's how it worked, like, right, well, I guess you killed both ogres. Good job. Well, that's, that's a heck of a hit. Okay, so anyway, Hero Quest is a good example of that, though, because it does have those elements. It has the uh, persistent characters. Now, uh, I think our second choice for this category is
0: Tales of the Arabian Nights. Now, I love Tales of the Arabian Nights. It's this pseudo-choose-your-own-adventure game. You have all of these different Attributes that you get at the beginning, and sometimes you go through and you have to use your storytelling to try and get a genie on your side. You have to use beguiling to trick a princess to coming back with you and marrying you. You have to talk your way out of jail. You have to get over a broken heart. All of these things are great little bits of stories, and you can go to the City of Brass or other wondrous places, and you get to play these. Arabian Nights heroes—you get to play Aladdin, Alibaba, Shahrazad, just these characters—and you get to play through this unfolding story. And it's a great game because you get to cheer on the other people playing. You get to go, "Oh, wait, wait, wait! You should try and drink during the tempest, or you should pray to the ghoulie, or maybe, maybe you should steal from the beggar. That would be fun." <laughs> yeah, steal it from the beggar. Go for it. Why not? Um, things. Okay, I just got to
1: say, I, I like Tales of the Arabian Nights. I think it's a super cool game, and I've enjoyed playing it every time I have. Um, I've, I've had some interesting experiences, but I, I just have this huge complaint with it. Uh, specifically, the Broken Heart and Imprisoned Conditions which are two of the most common conditions to get. Broken heart can be gotten a million different ways. Imprisoned happens constantly, often for literal or no reason, like stealing from a beggar. That's not going to get you in prison, but maybe just hanging out at the bazaar and you go to prison for some reason. Okay. And the problem with those conditions is that the broken hearted condition means you can't use any of your skills, including, but not limited to master level skills. Like you just can't do any of the things. So you're always at the mercy of pure, random chance which is not as fun as having something going on and meanwhile imprisoned means you don't get to do anything except try to stop being in prison and between the two they're both the things that don't let you play the game i came here to play a game i want to at least play it i have spent over half of a game of Tales of the Arabian Nights with a broken heart, unable to do anything cool and unable to get rid of my broken heart. There's not even any obvious way to get rid of a broken heart. You just, you're broken hearted. Screw you. You can figure it out. Apart from that though, it is super cool and it's great. Uh, it's great to uh, have the experience of, of tricking a genie or um, dodging a, a ghoulie or, um, or, or Beguiling a Princess. Those are all fantastic things, and it's a whole lot of fun. Um, and because of the really over-the-top storytelling elements in it, and the fact that it is a huge storytelling game, it's definitely one of those rpg light games we're talking about.
0: Uh, the next one that we have here, uh, my note just says Bat-Hoth. Oh, Betrayal at House on the Hill, right.
1: Yes, Bat-Hoth.
0: Um, Betrayal at the House
1: on the Hill is another kind of rpg-like game where you are exploring a haunted house now there are six characters in the game well actually 12 characters but each of them is kind of a reskinning of a character for instance there's a scientist and a priest they're both represented by the same miniature and one has a very high sanity rating and one has a very high knowledge rating but the point is every character plays a little different they have different uh ratings in these four attributes, speed, might, knowledge, and sanity, and their ratings top out and bottom out at different levels and start at different levels. So they're all moderately different. Uh, If you care to read up on them, they all have a backstory that explains why they're uh, exploring this haunted house. And finally... The game eventually progresses to the point where a haunt is revealed. And when that haunt is revealed, we find out that one of these individuals is a traitor and has been plotting the downfall of the group all along.
0: Now, Betrayal at House on the Hill is a classic dungeon crawler style game. You move along, you place down tiles, you have events, you get items, sometimes things happen to you. And you just go along until the game is over. You eventually reveal a victory condition, and it's a lot of fun. It's also wildly unbalanced. There have been numerous times where one player is just obviously going to win. One side has all of the items. The other side has none and is just going to lose.
1: You know, I love this game. I really do. But I played a game just recently where I ended up dropping into the basement at the very beginning of the game. And then the haunt was revealed fairly early and I literally never got to interact with the situation at all. I just spent my time wandering around the basement having random events happen to me, trying to get out and actually be involved in the situation. As far as all the other characters are concerned, I just dropped into the basement and disappeared.
0: So you you died before the opening credits. You're, you're the opening kill person? Yeah, I think I was the opening kill person. Yeah,
1: I think I was playing uh, Jenny, who's the young girl, too. So it makes perfect sense. Is that usually the person they kill off first? Some young yeah. girl to get sympathy? Yeah. Yeah, no, so there I was, dropped in the basement, gone forever, and that's how it goes. Yeah. And then another game, Um, I had one bad roll, and the outcome of the haunt was absolutely certain. But we still had to play through it anyway just because maybe something would happen to turn things around. But, I mean, let's be real. they had There were four of them. They had guns and armor and dynamite and just weapons out the wazoo. I had nothing of any value. I was playing as the scientist and my only recourse to stop them was physical violence, which, let's be honest, I wasn't going to stand a chance. So it can be a frustrating experience, but it is a really cool game. It has a lot of narrative to it, and you can find yourself in some uh, humorous situations where you end up with a cool story to tell.
0: Now, these first three games, Hero Quest, Tales of the Arabian Nights, and Betrayal at House on the Hill are all interesting in that they have these RPG elements to them, but if you took them away, if you took away this narrative, they wouldn't be very good games. Like... I enjoy Tales of the Arabian Nights. I enjoy enjoy Betrayal at House on the Hill, but without this emergent story, without this amount of fun that you're having with your friends, it would be just a bad game. You can't really strategize in them. You can't really get good at them.
1: Well, Betrayal at House on the Hill has a little bit of strategy to it, but yeah, it's definitely almost completely random, and honestly... It's, it's hard to argue that there's any strategy at all to Tales of the Arabian Nights other than just having played it so many times, you kind of know the outcome of a lot of your choices. And Hero Quest is, you know, random dice rolls. But there are other games in this category of rpg light games that are more conducive to serious strategy and serious gameplay. In fact, when people think of rpg light games, they often think of sort of tactical combat games.
0: So, I think that Descent is probably the one. Well, maybe Imperial Assault. Well, Imperial Assault and Descent are really the same game. So, let, let's talk about those together.
1: Okay, okay. So, Descent. Uh, Descent is a DM versus player type game, once again. Um, in it, you have different characters who have different attributes, different skills, and uh, different abilities. They um, can accumulate treasure, wealth, and power and can be played iteratively through different dungeons over the course of a sort of campaign. There's not a ton of campaign elements in it, as I recall.
0: Actually, the second edition, the core game, you're meant to play through a full campaign. One DM versus the same players playing the same characters over and over. In the original, the there was a campaign that was added on, but it was meant to be just scenario after scenario not really a campaign
1: okay all right cuz that's what i remember was that it just was like a better version of hero quest with a little more um with with a few more types of custom dice a little more advanced gameplay, and a lot more balance, and it was actually a really cool game with a lot of deep strategy to it, um, I really liked the, uh, placeable dungeon tiles, that's always a cool touch, you know, it turns out to be a nice attractive dungeon with a lot of coolness going on there, and the rules for how the monsters work, uh, we're a little more complicated than Hero Quest, as I recall, but it's been a long time since I've played Descent. Uh, tell me about Imperial Assault,
0: though. All right, so I got Imperial Assault for Christmas uh, a couple years back, and it it's one of those games that just hits that nerdy sweet spot for me. I mean, I remember growing up, running around with a wrapping paper tube, going vroom, vroom, vroom. (laughs) Luke, I am your father! Vroom, vroom, vroom.
1: Why why do I always... I totally picture you as Vader. Absolutely.
0: Anyway. So, Imperial Assault is the same basic game as Descent. You're going through these dungeons, trying to complete missions. Now, one of the big differences is that the campaign is a little bit more uh, cooperative. The players have personal missions that they want their characters to go on, whereas the DM wants uh, certain side missions for the players to go on before the main story uh, continues on. Like, if the the Dungeon Master-type person wants to play with the Darth Vader mini, they have to go on a side quest where the players then have to run away from Darth Vader. You know, they have to open these blast doors, clear out Stormtroopers, and get to an escape pod before Vader can get to them. And... All of these bits together really add to a more to a more uh, coherent and playable story than even the Descent campaign. Uh, it also fixes a few things that Descent did wrong. Uh, one of the best strategies for the Overlord, the DM player in uh, Descent, was to just keep beating on the same person. Oh, did they heal a little bit? No, keep beating on them until they're down.
1: Right, right. It was, it was really uh, about focusing on one player, and I think... Want to say some monsters had rules that kind of tried to mitigate that, but it, overall, yeah, yeah, obviously, you know, it was focus your attention on one player character and call it a day.
0: Uh, in Imperial Assault, each character had their uh, exhausted side, I think is what it was called, where. They could still do stuff. They could still participate in the encounter, but the Overlord character, the the DM player, won if all of the players got reduced to their exhausted side. So it wasn't just beating down on one person over and over and over, which I, I feel makes the game a little bit uh, a little bit more playable.
1: No, that's an improvement. Now, I, when I played Descent, you know. I think I might have lost the plot a little bit because I played the Overlord like I would play any other DMing, you know, with monsters behaving like I would expect those monsters to behave sort of thing. Um, Which I don't, again, I don't quite recall the rules as well as I'd like to, but I don't seem to recall the rules ever even suggesting that that was necessary. Like, the goblins can be the most intelligent goblins in the world for all we care, go nuts! You know, but... But I, I always, I always liked to. That's the thing is when I play games. A lot of times, I like to inject that sort of storytelling into games anyway. So there is
0: that. Um, well, so when when we're talking about dungeon crawling games, usually I'll bring up Descent or Imperial Assault. Those to me are the go-to uh, dungeon crawling games, or they were up until this past year. I. I picked up another... We're going to talk about Gloomhaven! We're going to talk about Gloomhaven. So, if you don't know, Gloomhaven is, as of the recording of this episode, sitting at the number one spot on BoardGameGeek's top 100 games. It's a $140 game, so it's a bit more expensive. But unlike the other expensive games that we've talked about, we highly recommend this. Like, Do you even like RPG-like games, fantasy-like games at all? Find Gloomhaven. Play Gloomhaven.
1: Gloomhaven is phenomenal. Um, from someone who uh, was really skeptical about the concept when it was explained to me, like, oh, it's kind of a legacy game, and, you know, there's all these character classes to unlock and stuff. I was like, eh, maybe. But then I played it a few times. I was like, oh, no, I'm hooked. This is fantastic. It's an outstanding game. Uh, in Gloomhaven, all the player characters are... Um, mercenary type characters who have come to the city of gloomhaven to seek their fortunes and the gloomhaven and the surrounding area is filled with all these various dungeons to crawl in and you uh, move around heading to these different locations having experiences along the road having experiences in the city and eventually you fight monsters on a hex battlefield Um, hoping to defeat them all, gather treasure, and return to the city of Gloomhaven to upgrade your characters, make them more experienced, make them more powerful, get them better weapons, all of this sort of stuff. Now, the cool thing about Gloomhaven, though, is that it's not really just a tactical miniatures game. It's also kind of a puzzle game. It's a resource management game. It's a storytelling choose-your-own-adventure game. It's a branching campaign game and it's a game of exploration of the game itself because it has all of these different sealed envelopes and boxes and all kinds of crazy things that you need to get into and that you need to unlock. On top of that, it's got things like individual quests for characters, individual quests for characters in the course of different missions. I mean, it's just super cool in that respect.
0: The leveling up mechanic is very intuitive, and it all, all of the game works with these different decks of cards as opposed to just rolling dice. Don't get me wrong, I love rolling plastic dice and attacking monsters, but playing these cards and the different combinations, coming up with different interesting tactical choices, actually makes you feel more clever than just ending up rolling a 20 on a 20-sider. You, you feel more in control of your character, which really is fun. It makes me super happy and super excited every time I pull out that huge box to play.
1: On top of that, as your character improves, you get to change around their combat deck, which is where you you generate your random numbers. So over time, your combat deck can get better and better in a way that dice would be really clumsy to try to do. I mean, you could put stickers on dice or something like that, or have dice faces change their meaning. That would probably work as well. But the deck does it in, I think, a much more elegant way. Uh, The game overall is just really cool. But these RPG elements are all throughout it. You have all these choices to make. And uh, when we were playing Gloomhaven, there were several times where I was like, well, my character's personal goal is this. My, I envision my characters thinking this way, so I think she would recommend that we do this. So that's what my character recommends. We, we take this path, you know. And there there is that element of light role-playing there, which is exactly what we're talking about. and makes it a really cool game.
0: Now, a little aside. The finale of Season 1 was talking about Kingdom Death Monster, which is a $400 board game gloomhaven i picked up for 140 bucks but i've seen copies of it go for 200 300 uh what what was the highest one we saw 500
1: 580 dollars which i don't know why you would pay that when there are still copies available for 200 something but you know someone out there is making their bank
0: so i i've heard a number of people go how can you play such expensive games and i have a dirty secret I'm a bit of an addict when it comes to board games. I have a problem. I have so many board games. And I've, I've been waiting for my friends to have an intervention, and they just don't.
1: Well, as long
0: as you keep letting us play the board games, we're not
1: going to have an intervention. However, as soon as you lock yourself in the basement and begin soloing your way through all of these games, we're all going to be like, whoa, Jeremy, you need help. We are here for you. Let's, let's make this work.
0: Um... That said, if you can't afford the price tag of Gloomhaven, find someone who has it. Get a group together and pool money together. I cannot recommend this game enough. It is one of the games I recommend the most that I have in my collection, but it's not the game that I recommend the most on this list. The last game that we have is... it's so hard to talk about because talking about it doesn't do it justice. It's such a great game
1: it's it's kind of an inversion of a lot of these other games because a lot of these other games hearken unto the elements of rpgs that we think of when we think of rpgs like uh combat and dungeon crawling and exploration but role-playing games are about
0: role-playing so the last game that we have to talk about today is fog of love so fog of love is a two-player uh, semi-cooperative game where you're both two halves of a relationship. And you're going through and trying to fulfill these personal goals and ideals and you're, you're doing this in a romantic comedy style way. You, you start out super in love and, oh, everything's wonderful and, oh, what's your happiest memory and, oh, I'm making you breakfast in bed. And then things get tougher. You start going out, and you notice, hey, you were talking to that person over there. Who was she? You start going out, and you you have a a fight with the in-laws, and your partner doesn't back you up. And then you start getting to the heavy things. Hey, are we going to get married at some point? What's going to happen to our relationship? Hey, we're in a fight right now. I'm going to cry just to try and make you feel bad. And... It becomes romantic comedy, the board game, in a fun and actually interesting way. Like, the, the way I'm describing it sounds like it's just a game where you're sitting around telling a story, and yeah, it kind of is. But it is a game, and it's fun and interesting.
1: And it's interesting because it's about the character growth, and it's about playing your character and I feel that the right way to play fog of love is when you get your initial cards that determine what your character does for a living what personality traits they have that um, uh, that attracted the other person to them all of these things that you try to figure out who your character is so when me and Jeremy played recently um my character uh, got that she was an internet celebrity and she was outgoing and fashionable and and daring. And I was like, well, I think my character is a um, Instagram, a uh, professional Instagram model named Christina.
0: Meanwhile, my character ended up being this Prague rock jazz ska musician named <laughs> Kyle. Uh, they added the Prague rock when they went to Prague, actually. Oh. And these two characters were so vapid and oh, just the worst people. But the relationship that they had kept working in weird ways
1: yeah they, they they were perfect for each other I especially like how at the end of the game both had a secret right and um, Jeremy and, and Jeremy revealed his first is like okay well Kyle's secret is he had a fling he he had an affair with uh, some random girl at one of his concerts and he's kept it secret this whole time. So I'm like, ooh, that's, that's pretty bad. My secret is, Christina slept with Kyle's best friend. <laughs> They're like made for each other.
0: And it, it's a fun game that we, we sat there and we were laughing and joking about. And in the end, we're like, wow, we want to keep playing this game. And it, it is surprisingly good. It is a really cool game,
1: and it might be very dangerous to play it with your actual partner. Because there is sort of an aspect of um, making these sort of relationship decisions in it. And I could see that sometimes there's no wrong choice, but there's a wrong choice, if you know what I'm saying.
0: Uh, And the funny thing is, we wanted to do this episode partially because we wanted to talk about Fog of Love. We wanted to talk about this game without doing a a full-on episode just about Fog of Love, which we still might do at some point.
1: Yeah, and I can definitely see us doing a full episode on Fog of Love, but uh, it was a big part of what inspired this episode because we were talking about how There are a lot of games that are very close to being RPGs, and when we think of those, we almost exclusively think of tactical combat and exploration games, like uh, Betrayal at the House on the Hill, or Mansions of Madness, which is another exploration-based game, or, um, or Hero Quest, like we talked about, or Descent. These are all... Tactical miniatures combat games, maybe even D and D Fourth Edition, could arguably be seen as something of an RPG light game because of its presentation. (laughs) But having said that, Fog of Love is probably the closest of these to being a role-playing game where you are playing a role. Because while all the rest of these are about you having characters that deal with externalities, that fight monsters, or explore dungeons, or explore mansions, Fog of Love is about exploring characters and exploring what those characters are. And that's really intriguing in a game, especially a game that isn't actually an RPG, a game that has a model structure like you would expect from any other board game. So it's a really cool concept and it is more or less the inspiration for this episode.
0: So let's break it down. There's a lot of games that go all the way from super tactical abstract strategy board games all the way to almost being RPGs, and we wanted to talk about these touch-of-RPG games to show that there is this wonderful spectrum in board gaming, as well as in RPGs. And really, what it comes down to is, the best thing about games is that you get to sit around with friends and you get to tell this story. You get to have these RPG moments, and you get to have these stories that you get to tell later on. So I think that's our wrap up for this episode. Um, what were
1: we talking about for our next episode?
0: Uh, let's see. My notes say retelling classic stories.
1: Oh yeah. We're going to talk about, um, how classic stories be they from actual literature, classic literature or from the classics of gaming, can be excellent inspirations and starting points
0: for your own stories in your games. All right, so this has been Save vs. Rant. Thank you very much for listening.
1: John Romero once said, I still like to play games that have a beginning, an end, and a
0: story. Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at saveversusrant.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.